Hello everyone, JP here. I hope this note finds you well. Summer is here and we will be taking a break. I will be focusing my time on researching and writing the book all about the last 8%. Um, We don't know the title. Roughly though, it will be looking at what does it mean to grow the skills to be better in the last 8%, to use those opportunities to transform ourselves, also transform our teams. What does it mean to build a last 8% culture? What does that mean exactly? In the meantime, we have chosen some favorite episodes from past seasons for your listening enjoyment. And because we want you to keep moving and listening. Why? Well, we know that mood follows movement. And so we have over 145 different episodes. Go back, listen to various ones, listen to them again. It's great for the repetition because there's a lot of good content there, but more so it's about building these habits. Uh, If you're interested in finding out what your predictable default behavior is, that is, what do you do? What's your pattern when you face a last 8%? Go to the show notes. You can take our quiz. Um, But most of all, you know, feel free to join our Facebook group and share everything with other folks. But most of all, have a wonderful summer and we will see you back real soon. Thanks so much. Welcome to the Last 8% Morning. This is J.P. Palu Fry. It is so great to be with you today. In today's episode, the latest in our Science of Learning series, what are the best conditions for learning to take place. Maybe you want to get better at something yourself, a work-related skill like technical writing or a people-related skill like coaching. Or maybe you are a teacher or someone who works in learning and development in an organization and you wonder, what can I do to best create the conditions for learning? And what is this thing called the 85% rule which is the title of today's episode. That is the focus of today's show. Are you excited to be here? I certainly am. Let's walk. Out walking, enjoying this gorgeous day, moving as you are able. Feeling your feet on the ground, letting go of whatever it is you were thinking or planning, and just arriving in this moment. You will have plenty of time to think and plan 
But for now, let's really, for the next 15 to 20 minutes, really be present. If you are a longtime listener, you know that one of the ways to get present in the moment is to feel sensations because sensations only occur in the present moment, unlike thinking. So just be in your body. Feel your hands and arms as they swing. Feel your knees and your hips. Feel the sensations of your belly rising and falling. Feel your head and neck. And if your mind wanders, just note that it's wandered. See if you have any reaction, thinking, oh, I should be able to Pay attention to my focus of attention. But just see if you can let whatever thought or story has taken your mind away and just let it be and gently come back to paying attention in this moment to your belly rising and falling. And move to the top of your head and feel any sensations there. Now feel your belly rising and falling. Now feel your whole torso. Feel your belly rising and falling. Now feel the back of your neck. Belly rising and falling. Now feel your nose. What does a nose feel like? Not thinking about a nose, but what does a nose feel like? Maybe it's just neutral. As you know, if you're a long-time listener, we have a couple of ways that we can look at body sensations, physical sensations. And in fact, this is based on the neuroscience of what we can actually feel. So our interoceptive system only allows us to feel really two scales of sensations. One is pleasant to unpleasant. So now go from head to toe, tuning into whatever sensations are on the pleasant to neutral to unpleasant scale. You might have a lot that's pleasant. You might have a lot that's neutral. Fantastic. Now, same thing with the second scale that we use, which is calm to not calm scale or calm to aroused, physiological arousal, 
to be more technical about its scale. So just from head to toe, feel in your body. Do you feel any sensations that are calm or neutral or not calm? And again, just do a body scan, see what's present. Fantastic. Why do we do this? We do this because we want to build mindfulness. We want to build skills and courage so we can stay and not run when we face those more difficult last 8% situations. Because if we can, that's where our transformation takes place as a human being, as a team, as an organization. And so if we can build these skills to manage emotions and stay in there and see the sensations come and go all on their own. It's like we're in a difficult conversation. If we can just stay and manage emotions, we can work things out. In some ways, this is the how of leadership. And it is so great to be with you today. So standing tall, looking around, feeling grateful, Just see if you can relax your heart, soften your hands. And let's move now to our idea of the day. So you want to get better at something. It could be a work-related skill, programming languages, or it could be more people-related, like Managing your direct reports. Maybe you're a new manager. Or maybe it's a non-work skill, like a musical instrument or a language. Or if you're like me, it might be an obsession with improving your ice hockey skills. In the last couple of years, I have, I think, been a bit obsessive around learning hockey skills like stick handling or skating with the pandemic. Um, I've always enjoyed hockey. But I thought, hey, if I can't play organized, I'm going to go work on some skills. And what's interesting is that I've become so joyful at practicing difficult skills that I couldn't do before. And at first, I can't really do it. But, you know, on the 500th or the 1,000th time of repetition, I can start to see a little skill, you know, building, a bud that grows. And it's been so mm, fulfilling for me. Um, and so I will go on to a, with these rollerblades, I'll go on to a, a parking lot when there's no ice around, but I live in Toronto and they're, they have outdoor rinks. And so I'd go there by myself and just practice these skills on the ice as well. You know, skating, stick handling, anyway. Um, so that's been a great joy for me. So that's if we want to learn ourselves some skill, but you also might be a teacher or a coach or someone who works in an organization, in learning and development. And you're interested to think, okay, what can I do to help people learn in the most effective way? And that's an important question as we, the world is changing so fast and we need to learn as fast as the world is changing. This is why I have to say for 
over 20 years, I've been so excited about the work we do at the Institute for Health and Human Potential, helping people learn and grow so they can make the most out of their lives, their careers, their relationships. Peter Drucker said, who was one of the gurus of management thinking, he said, we now accept the fact that learning is a lifelong process of keeping abreast of change. And the most pressing task is to teach people how to learn. So in this series, this Science of Learning series, which we will have every now and then over the course of the entire lifespan of this podcast, we're going to keep digging into the science, the neuroscience, because we recognize that learning is a fine art. And there's many parts to finding that line, right? Because we don't want to overwhelm people with too much information all at once. Or when the task is too difficult, where they might fail too often. So there's a fine art because there's a lot at stake if we can't find that fine balance. If the problem is too easy, people will get no pleasure from solving the problem. And experience pleasure is critical to sustaining motivation around learning because learning is hard. Like it's hard. Think about it. All right, a learner has to retrieve information from their environment and from the vast storehouse of their long-term memory. They have to combine that information in new ways with their more limited short-term working memory. And they have to imagine solutions based on these new combinations. This is all happening at the same time. And so it's hard. And, you know, if the problem that we put in front of a learner or in front of ourselves appears too difficult, we will shut down or the learner will, sh- will shut down that thought process because it seems to offer no pleasurable playoff, payoff. Sorry. Or, you know, if there's too much information given all at once, then working memory, that limited space where we briefly hold and manipulate ideas, it can quickly become overcrowded and thinking and learning become so difficult to build frustration. And again, a student can disengage and give up. So we need to create the right conditions for learning to take place. So how do we make it just right? Well, one area to explore is the role of the level of difficulty of training on the rate of learning. What do I mean by that? Well, we know from very good neuroscience research that there's a sweet spot in which training is neither too easy nor too hard and where learning progresses most quickly. This is where we feel at the edge of our competence. Not so hard that we are discouraged, but not so easy that we get bored. And to do this, researchers have looked at something called the optimal error rate for training. The optimal error rate for training. And that is the amount of errors or mistakes that puts our brain in the best condition to succeed. That might sound almost counterintuitive. But what does that mean? Well, whenever we are trying to learn something new, we know that when we make a mistake or an error, 
we experience a pattern. And that pattern goes like this. We experience a certain amount of frustration. We've all experienced that. But we, we start with frustration. But what's interesting is that that state of frustration is not entirely bad on its own. Because we know it cues up particular brain areas to be more alert. So that on subsequent attempts to learn, we have a heightened level of focus and an increased probability of learning that new skill. So think of errors or mistakes as a necessary ingredient to making the brain more plastic. Remember, we've talked about neuroplasticity in the podcast many times. But to make the brain more plastic so that in the minutes after an error or mistake takes place, the brain is more able to take in crucial information and be shaped by that information. Isn't that amazing? In other words, there is a reason. There's a, a utility for errors and mistakes. Honestly, I think that's just so amazing what we're learning now in neuroscience. But the natural question, the next natural question probably is, and you might be asking is, well, what is the optimal rate of errors or mistakes for learning to take place? Well, we now know what that is. Some recent research has found that there is a sweet spot of errors and mistakes for the brain to learn. And that number is, drum roll please, is 15%. You want learners to hit a 15% error or mistake rate for optimal learning. In other words, you want learners to be successful 85% of the time. That's the 85% golden rule. And this is true for you as a learner. It's true if you're a learning professional helping others learn. So when you hit a setback while learning, can you see it differently than just maybe how you normally saw it and get frustrated and then get hooked by the frustration and the story after the frustration, right? Again, if you're a longtime listener, you know we have an emotion. And then very quickly after the emotion, we have a story about that emotion. Most of us are not aware of that. That's again why we want to practice mindfulness because it allows us to see the emotion, the story after the emotion. So many of us, we had a setback while learning and we feel frustration, but then we get a story. Oh, I can't do this. I've never been able to learn. And the story now goes into a full loop. So can we see our learning differently? That we actually need a certain amount of errors or mistakes because that's how the brain will learn. Or... If you are designing learning for others, can you keep this 85% golden rule of learning in place because that is what your learners need, even though it might make them feel a certain amount of frustration? And can you try not to immediately save them, but instead use that opening when the brain is most plastic to help them shape their brain so that they can grow and they can transform can I remember this as I make error after error and mistake after mistake on the ice, learning my hockey skills? I get lots of opportunities to practice. But again, I have to, in all seriousness, I have to take that seriously. I have to do skills that I can do 85% of the time and I'm on that edge of competence. Because if I'm there, 
I'm going to I'm going to be in that sweet spot. Louise May Alcott said, I'm not afraid of storms, for I'm learning how to sail my ship. I'm not afraid of storms, for I am learning how to sail my ship. This is what last 8% is. It's that zone where we want to enter. And maybe we don't enter it all at once, but we enter it so that we're at that edge of competence. Because that's where transformation takes place. How exciting is that? Because we want to build cur- the courage inside to be, to take risks. The courage to be bold. The courage to make mistakes. The courage to be uncomfortable. This is what we're trying to build here. And it is so great to have you on this journey. So, let's go to our three by three. Three mindful breaths, right down into our toes, calming this body. And now three things, I'm going to give you an option, three things that you can feel grateful for, or if you listen to the Science of Gratitude series, you will know that there's some really interesting research around when you feel the gratitude that others have for you, it actually has a more powerful effect on our brain. So can you right now think of someone who you've helped where you really made a difference for them? How you showed up really made a difference for them and it really made them feel something. Can you tune into that and feel the gratitude that they have for you right now? Fantastic. And finally, let's go to three goals. What do you want to get done today? What are some big rocks? And if you're really focused on getting these three things done, you'd feel, hmm, I had a productive day. Wonderful. If you're getting something out of this podcast, please... Subscribe so you don't miss any of these exciting episodes. Please share. If you know teachers or people who are involved in learning, please share so they can learn this 85% golden rule. If you know anyone who's trying to learn hockey skills, please share it with them. And also, of course, please join our Facebook group and join the community. I want to finish with a Krishnamurti quote. He was a teacher uh, last century in India. And let's bring this energy and this motivation and these goals and this gratitude into the day and, and make it just a fantastic day. He said, there is no end to education. It is not that you read a book, pass an examination, and finish with education. The whole of life, from the moment you are born to the moment you die is a process of learning. Have a wonderful day.